1: Most of you want to make it to the promised land of success but aren't willing to make the sacrifices. Let me be clear. Nobody said it was going to be easy. No handouts. No excuses. It's just you versus you. It's go time. Find your wife for the 5 a.m. wake-up call. Find your wife for the extra mile you have to do after the workout. Find your wife to face that fear. Take that test. Make that move. Come on, y'all. Your whole life has been a warm-up for this moment right here, today. Are you finally ready to play? You gotta decide to stay always on the move. Less talk, more action, just be better, just be more, be more today.
0: What's going on, folks? You're again, Dr. Sean Thomas, back in the building with the Be More Today show. We are back, we are back, we are back in the building. And folks, we are here, episode 127, and it's one that you are not gonna wanna miss. Before I get into the show and my guest for today, Be More Today is a movement, as you already know. BeMoreToday.com has all you need for our more merch store, our latest apparel. Um, again, if you're looking for a running coach in the NYC area, I'm your guy, so email me directly. At info at be and of course follow us like us subscribe be more today show is on instagram facebook and twitter be more today underscore show be more today underscore pt and of course your boy here at dr sean thomas follow me and subscribe to the things i'm trying to do always trying to keep people on the move so we can be the better version of ourselves be more today show is on spotify and it's growing largely now heard in 78 countries over 50,000 downloads. We hit the 50,000 download marker, folks. It's thanks to you, your love and support of just trying to be more, has guys to this point for the last four years. So I appreciate you from the bottom of my heart. It does not go unnoticed. My quote for today is simple as always. We don't even know how strong we are until we are forced to bring that hidden strength forward by Isabel L D. Now, listen. This there's a there's a certain thing about training. As I'm going through my marathon training for Berlin, which is coming in, up now in September, and I'm seeing that I'm so much stronger than I thought I was. Um, I had so many things I wanted to do for this year. You know, I already ran uh, some times that I wanted to run last year, and I said, let me just expound on that. And this whole like sub four hour marathon thing, which is like the illustrious thing to do you know has been a thing and I've done it twice right I ran 157 I ran 158 and I said I can do this thing but now that I'm training and I'm training better and I'm training uh, on track with what the training program or protocol or program says to do I'm seeing that I'm I'm doing times at this stage of my training that I was doing uh, later in last year's stages. I'm faster now than I was this time last year. I'm stronger now than I was this time last year. And I'm recognizing that, you know what? 358, 357, that's not good enough. I want to get 345. I want to aim for, you know, sub 340. I, and I know that there's such a mindset that goes with that. But again, the quote says, we don't even know how strong we are until we're forced to bring that hidden strength forward. I'm now forcing myself to get in this realm to say, you know, what, let me go out there and just be better. Let me go out there and see what I can do. Again, I didn't do this stuff in college and high school. I jumped, I ran, but I didn't do long distance running. So the fact that it even happening is one thing. But now that I'm seeing that I can do this thing, I'm recognizing that the human brain is such an amazing thing that if you can just get it to do and think a certain way, the body will follow. And I said, who can I bring on the show? We talked to us more about how the brain works and how we can get our bodies to function the way that they can for their potential. And I thought to myself, let me look back into my Rolodex of amazing people that I went to school with at Brown University. I just had celebrated my 20-year reunion. I didn't go to Brown uh, reunion this year. So shout out to all those who graduated 2023 and the class of 03, of course, that was my class. But I have so many people that I met during my tenure there that the guests on the show today is the embodiment of all the things we talked about. And her name is Allison Breaker. Now, Allison Breaker is a former teammate of mine, Bruno, you know, at Brown University, but Mm -hmm. now she is the Chief Science Officer of the John F. Kennedy Special Warfare Center and School. She's the recipient of the two National Research Service Awards from National Institutes of Health and National Academies of Science Fellowship to study physiological resiliency in extreme environments. Dr. Brager's work spans from clinical drug trials to applied field studies with elite athletes, combat divers, and special forces in some of the most crazy places on Earth, to include Antarctica, nonetheless. In 2020, Dr. Brager underwent astronaut assessment and selection at NASA. She sits on the advisory boards for the NCAA for NATO, for Special Operations Command, the Office of the Army Surgeon General, and the federal government. She is a recipient of two Presidential Meritorious Service Medals and a Joint Commendation Medal for her clinical and research expertise during the COVID-19 pandemic and the war on terrorism. Dr. Breger has over 40 peer-reviewed publications and flagship journals to include science, eLife, Journal of Neuroscience and Neuropsychopharmacology, and is an author, just like me, an author of Meathead, Unraveling the Athletic Brain. She holds a Bachelor of Science in Psychology, just like me, from Brown University, Bruno, you know, and a PhD in Psychology from Kent State University. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, pets included, please (laughs) welcome to the stage, my guest on today's show my fellow Brunonian, my fellow alumni, and a great long-lost friend of mine, Dr. Allison Brager. Dr. Brager, what is going on? What's
2: going on, Dr. Thomas? Bruno.
0: Bruno, you know. It is so good to see your face and to be here with you. Um, It's been a long time.
2: It has been a long time, and I love how we both busted out our uh, our, our shirts just for the occasion.
0: That's right. That's right. That's right. The Brown Love is... A real thing, and we are ever true to Brown. If you don't know now, you know. And uh, listen, I've been following you on Instagram, and I'm just blown away. Um, I have so many questions for you. I just want to say congratulations on all your accomplishments. Um, you know, it's it's really great to see people thrive in their environments, and you never know where people's lives are going to end up. Um, we both studied psychology at school. Yep. You no, know, who knew that? You know. People two people studying the same um, studies in school the same the same backgrounds and the same literature and whatnot can go on and live and do very different things but also have so much in common when it comes to seeing how the brain works and trying to get things people to do certain things in certain ways so I'm just enamored by what you've been doing um, the teaching stuff the uh, the book which I want to talk about for sure. I just want to say congrats on an amazing career. You've won so many awards. You've been uh recognized by so many people for your brilliance. And um, I just want to say congratulations because I'm really just proud of you for what you've been doing.
2: Well, thank you so much, but I always feel like I'm just trying to keep up with all of you. So I just, you know, see all my friends and teammates from Brown and the amazing, incredible accomplishments you have had, and you know, our teammates have had, and uh in all sectors of the world right public health law uh, medicine it's just you you guys keep me on my toes every day when i wake up in the morning i'm still competing with you but in in a friendly way of course of
0: course of course of course listen so much stuff to talk about i want to get into it i know you've done so many things when it comes to um studying the brain and, and seeing what you've been doing but your current work right now is very impressive how did you get into this field of work in the first place
2: Um, honestly, it's from being an athlete. So I've always been fascinated by sleep because growing up as a gymnast, so I was in the gym four or five hours a day. And then when I was in seventh grade, I started doing track and field. So I added two sports. And then of course, my track coach also made me do cross country. So I basically became a, a two sport athlete year round, whether I liked it or not, um, you know, I always cared about my grades. I didn't grow up in uh, the greatest place. Uh, I grew up in one of the worst cities in the country. And my neither one of my parents went to college. So I always valued academics as well. Um, and I always knew that if I didn't get a good night of sleep, I not only could not pay attention the next day or do well the next day in school, but I would have an awful track practice or gymnastics practice. Um, and really how I got interested in sleep. And I think you can relate to this. So I took Mary Persgadden's introduction to sleep course in the psychology department, because as you know, being on the track team and doing both indoor and outdoor track, you had to take gut courses. And her course was one of those gut courses where, You had to do work, but you didn't have to do necessarily a lot of work to get an A. Um, So I took our course sophomore year uh, in the hopes of getting an A, which I did. And uh, I was just fascinated that there was actually a whole line of research around sleep. Um, So about the second week of class, I went up to her and I was like, hey, can I start working in your lab? Uh, So the end of my sophomore year, I started working at her lab, just which was actually down the street street from um, the outdoor track at Butler Hospital. So that's that's, yeah, that's no. how I got started into sleep was that's because crazy. of the introductory to sleep course I Brown.
0: That's wow. So I, I remember the, I remember the class. Um, and you know it's so interesting how even a class like that can get you thinking in the global scheme of what you may want to do for the rest of your life. I take a lot of classes at Brown, and especially in the psych in the psych realm. And I knew I wanted to do something that involved psychology. I knew I didn't want to be a teacher per se. That wasn't my my forte, but I knew that taking these classes, they just simulated me in different ways. I knew I was gonna do something that involved dealing with people to some capacity. And physical therapy is that it's not yeah. fully that, but it does become that in such a weird way. Like there's so many times where literally. You know we're, we're, we're working with people and trying to get them to be physically better but there's so many psychological things that come up in the session or during the time or so many things oh, yeah. that have to be played to get people to do certain exercises to get over certain issues or fears that they have and i go back to a lot of the psych classes that i took um <laughs> in particular abnormal, abnormal psychology which is one that i think i remember oh the yeah looking at just ways to kind of read you know different people and and what what we're working with but that's cool that, you know, that one class sparked this thing for you. And now you're doing so many amazing things when it comes to sleep and the brain and how it works. And I know your main role now is chief science officer, which is a very big role. What does that role entail? <laughs> what are you doing exactly as a chief science officer at John F. Kennedy Special Warfare and Center in school?
2: Well, as you know, the military, we like our titles, right? You gotta, gotta bring out the big guns right away. Mm-hmm. Um, Essentially, I oversee all the research and development that's being done here uh, to help our guys and gals get through the pipeline. So we're in charge of producing Green Berets. Um, so if, if you know kid off the street wants to be a Green Beret, uh, once he gets recruited, he comes into our pipeline and it's an 18-month long pipeline and it's one of the most challenging military courses in the world, hands down. Um, You know, it's a lot of high risk, high stress. So, a lot of our research is actually centered around reducing risk for injury, Hmm. uh, heat stress, heat stroke, um, and then psychological distress as well. Um, So, we invest not just in new technologies to monitor risk, but also uh, we actually bring on the best of the best in the field of sports psychology. We recruit a lot of sports psychologists from uh, Olympic teams, professional teams, to come work for for us to work with these students to help them get through the course, um, and then to go on in their careers and as Green Berets and uh, lead missions around the world.
0: That's a very big deal, uh, you know. And and again, I'm not a Green Beret, but I know I'm watching many movies that portray Green Berets. The training that goes behind that is such. It just seems like, and you could probably tell me how, how it really is. It seems like it's such a an overwhelming, tedious experience, but to prepare you for what you're going to see when you get out there in the real world. And I guess the simulation for that is very interesting to me because, again, I'm sure so much of that does come from psychological strength and resiliency mm-hmm. that you have to build so that whenever you see anything, you're just ready for it. And not, not you're numb to it, but you're just like prepared for anything that happens any single time so you know what what you know as as an instructor i guess for you what what goes into the mindset of trying to help someone become a green beret you know and, and, and and the mindset i think you have to develop to be able to withstand the training for this thing
2: well that's you know a lot of what we're selecting for like once uh they weed out people who may be high risk from a psychological standpoint. Mm -hmm. These tests are designed while they are like very physical in the beginning, as the course goes on, they're designed to be like test your cognitive capacity to Mm -hmm. the extreme, because, you know, part of the requirement too is learning a completely new language. And a lot of times the languages they're asked to learn are not, um, like the traditional romance languages. Um, So there's that unique element too. doing this under sleep deprivation and knowing um, there's this song called the ballad of the green beret
1: Mm. and
2: in the song, it's actually sung by Dolly Parton. So if you go on Apple music, she has a rendition of it. I forget who originally sang it, but in the the ballad of the green beret, they talk about a hundred men. And we'll test today and only three will actually pass. Um, this song was written in the 70s, but it's still very true. So wow. our um, rate of selection is extremely low, but we're also looking for what we say the tip of the spear. So the most elite soldier possible physically, emotionally, uh, cognitively, even, you know, how we define spiritually. We're looking right. for, yeah, the diamond in the rough.
0: The diamond in the rough. That's incredible. I mean... I guess the movies are true. That that, that is exactly what's portrayed in the in, in the in the movies. That you're looking for someone who's going to be not perfect, but just you know, near, nearly nearly there, uh, to go out there and just be able to withstand anything. So that I'm sure may have been some of the inspiration for you to write this book, which is entitled Meathead. Now, can you as a, as a fellow author, I just want to say congratulations. I I think it's it's great that you wrote a book. I think a lot of people um. I'm sure they probably come to you and say, Oh, you wrote a book that's amazing. And I wrote one too, and I'm very, very proud of it. Um, because it got me, I, I got a chance to really just share some of my thoughts and my research and my experiences and and what I thought was going to help people to become better, whatever they're doing. Your book, um, as it says, bridges scientific discoveries with athletic antidotes to unravel the neuroscience of exercise for the jack, sorry, for the jock, the gym rat, and sports nut. Now, why, why Meathead? Because meathead is something that it's a term that we kind of give to people who, you know we see as someone who may be really, really strong, maybe fit, but maybe not as smart. Um, mm-hmm. but it seems like in your book, you've kind of taken that to the next level and looked at the ways that you can explore physical fitness along with mental strength and toughness. So talk to us about the book. I'm very curious about it. I haven't read it yet, but it's gonna be on my next my next to do list. But I wanted to give you guys, or give you a chance just to kind of share about the book and let us know what the term meathead really means and the athletic brain. What does that really mean? And we talk about your book in general.
2: Sure. So I love that you recognize that the irony of the term meathead. Um, so believe it or not, my ex- my muse and inspiration for writing this book, uh, which was about 10 years ago, was because of my experiences at Brown. Mm. Um, I think you remember this, um, I don't know if this term was around when you were there, but when I was there, there's this term called NARPs. So like people who didn't do sports ref- like proudly referred to themselves as non-athletic regular people. Yes. And, um, it's one of those things that like literally my entire time throughout Brown, People in my classes who didn't play sports and even like former roommates of mine, just they used to say I was just a jock and a meathead and just dismissed my, you know, they knew I worked hard, but they dismissed my intelligence, which was whatever, fine. It didn't, you know, impact my ego or confidence or whatever, Mm -hmm. but then after college, I started you know, as the years go on, I started seeing all my friends from the track team or people in sports were going on to be lawyers and doctors and physical therapists and going on and getting like the highest degree possible in their field of study. And the, you know, not to like knock the NARPs, but the NARPs weren't doing that Mm. or just weren't doing anything. Yeah. So, Um, at the time I was teaching, uh, so I was doing my postdoc fellowship at Morehouse School of Medicine and Morehouse college, where I used to teach a neuroscience class. And it kind of just came to me one day as I was preparing my semester material for this introduction to neuroscience course. I taught. it's like, you know what? There's literally very limited research, let alone a popular science book on the neuroscience of athleticism. And what what are the positive benefits of exercise for brain health from growth of actual brain areas to the speed at which neurons uh, communicate with each other to how that then translates to performing highly complex skills where you don't even have to turn on like the frontal executive part of your brain in order to execute that skill. Mm-hmm. Um, so I basically, you know, spent, taking a deep dive into the very limited amount of research that was around at the time. And uh, there certainly is a lot more now. So if I do do a second edition, since it's about 12 years since I finished the book, um, I definitely would probably have more of a challenge, right? Or I could refute some of the the, the theses I I made throughout the book. Uh, But the general idea is just showing just what an amazing plastic and dynamically changing organ the brain is and how much the brain because of the neurochemicals it releases how much it craves exercise and how exercise can really be a super beneficial tool not just for people who struggle with mental health or perhaps like my family has a family history of dr- drug addiction but also just can can help people connect too like from an emotional standpoint if you you know, you're with another person and you're having a heated conversation or you're going, you know, you're going to have an unpleasant conversation, just getting up and taking a walk and having that conversation while walking will make that person more receptive and more empathetic to what is actually being said all because of movement and where in the brain that movement is encoded. Hmm. So it's just, it's just an amazing concept.
0: Yeah. No, you know, it's funny. I, um, thing. I remember the term NARP. Uh, I didn't remember what it actually stood for until you gave me the word just now. But I remember it being used for people who were not into the sports world. And you know, being a bracket brown, there were so many people that um, we spent so much time with because we were on a track team, and that by itself was two hours a day, right? And then you have dinner with the oh, same people. At
2: least two hours. A yeah, day. we're
0: talking three yeah. now, three four hours a day with dinner involved and travel time and weekends whatever else so training
2: room time that was at least an hour
0: all that yeah so a a lot of a lot of um bonding and and building uh, friendships between people all the time and you know for me it was it was that mixed with I was also dancing at the time which was another realm of people that were also doing movement um so I was constantly around people who were active who were moving and I don't really remember many times when I was around people who were not moving or, or not doing certain things at all. Because all both of my circles were either track and field related or dance related. And if I wasn't doing that, then I was clearly doing work. Um, yeah. But I remember when I was doing this work at school, I did feel this like, um, it, it was always easier for me to study because I was so active doing certain things that when I did yeah. sit down, you know, I was more focused. And I, I found that as I got into grad school, um, I needed that same thing. I needed that, that's, I need something. So, you know, I, I joined and founded a basketball team in the grad school. I was still dancing at the time as well. And that actually helped me to, to get through school. But so many people were like, oh, you know, are you to be able to handle this? You'd be able to, to balance doing those things and being in grad school. And I thought back to, you know, our time at Brown, how that balance between athleticism and, and academia was actually helpful. And I think for some people, it, it, was more of a time management issue while it might have been challenging for them. But I do think that the 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 um the movement piece for me was helpful. And it made me just become so diverse in terms of my ability to study and do things well. And and the thing about that is that when you talk to people who are not in that world, um yes, the, the term meathead comes up right? Or jock yep. is usually the one that people talk about. Okay. So you were a jock. So if you played any kind of sport at all, you couldn't have been smart. If you played any sport at all, there's no way you can go on there and do, you know, anything that someone who was not doing those things, like a NARP was, you know, was doing. Yep. And I always laugh at that. Even my wife, is because she, you know, we didn't meet, my wife and I didn't meet in at Brown. We met after Brown, but person on the track team actually met introduced us together. So it's funny how that worked out.
2: Okay. Who was um, that?
0: Uh, yeah, exactly. Brooke Watson actually introduced us oh, to Oh, okay. Um, who's class 001? 01. Um, okay. But her, her big thing, because she wasn't really around a lot of um, athletes that were her friends, and the ones that she did see, those athletes, I guess at her school, were not. they were not the smartest. They just weren't. They weren't. They, weren't, <laughs> they, weren't, they were like the ones who were, you know, taking the clip notes from here and there, people taking a test yeah. for them, whatever else. So in her mind, if you were an athlete, you were a jock, and you couldn't have done two things at the same time. There's no way you could be smart, book smart and also athletic and maybe it was the school we went to maybe it was the environment we were in maybe at that, that time frame but there like you said there was so many people who we ran with jumped with um did so many things with who have gone on to do so many amazing things in academia and i do believe that athletics did help to get us there um i talk about it all the time with even with my my staff looking at the discipline that goes into it, looking at the the lessons you learn from losing and from winning when it comes to athletics, looking at the, the consistency you have to put into the training, the waking up in the morning, the diligence to actually go through and finish your workout and all the mental toughness. I'm not saying it's the same level as as your berets, right? We're not I'm not saying that at all.
2: No, it's the same thing though. They oh, you so, so? You notice, well, so you know there's like all these weird trends in terms mm. of like being from this part of the country and doing this particular hobby makes you more likely to be selected because, you know, we're working with thousands of data points across a year, compounded across like decades of time, right? And believe it or not, two things that stand out are, are being a cross country runner from Vermont <laughs> and being a lacrosse player. Really? So those are like the two you know, unique things, at least for the officers who become Green Berets that stand out, is being a cross country runner from Vermont and a lacrosse player.
0: What do you think it is about those two sports that that make it such a, 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 I guess, a prime demographic for you guys to choose from?
2: Well, I mean, it's grit and fortitude, right? You know, you're talking about 18 months at a minimum. That's if you go through the pipeline the first time of just it's it's mind over matter um and you know you think back to your marathon training you're doing right now there's a lot of days where you don't want to be out there and you're just pounding on the pavement or the grass and just step by step and that that mindset you know and then as you know having uh lived in new england at some point in time like (laughs) if you're from vermont you're you're tough you're tough as nails it doesn't matter you know you can handle any weather conditions rain, sleep, hail, yeah. anything.
0: That's true. Um,
2: yeah. And then, you know, think about uh, lacrosse. So we actually did publish a study a few years ago um, and basically have this position statement that lacrosse players are the best military relevant demographic. Because if you think about the athletic attributes of a lacrosse player from the, like reaction time is absolutely essential, speed is essential, stamina, Uh, knowing where your body is in space and time in relation to the stick and the ball Um, and then the teamwork and communication it's such a game of communication Hmm. Um, if you take all those traits together you have to me the perfect soldier Um, Hmm. and it's no surprise I think that um, like lacrosse is really big at West Point the army's military academy it's no surprise most of the lacrosse players I know who played at the academy have gone on to work for special forces it's just you know it's one of those communities again because of those attributes that being an athlete teaches you
0: yeah interesting yeah I actually grew up not too far from West Point so I know West Point pretty well um and you know I I definitely see the cross-country thing because there is You know, I I jumped around, so you know, we we weren't we weren't (laughs) yeah,
2: you remember them.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we weren't running like those guys were. But as I've gotten into it, there's there's a definite like um the mindset. People say, Oh, how can you run, you know, for three hours? What do you think about? And I've seen there's definitely a, a certain mindset that comes with this thing where you can literally just go to a different place and uh even running the marathon, like my mind goes all over the place when I'm running, but I'm I'm so focused at the task at hand. I'm thinking about my breathing. I'm thinking about my pace. I'm thinking about my, how my foot feels, my knee feels, all those things while I'm running, while people are around me. But I'm also thinking, okay, one mile done. You know, twenty five to go, and then the mindset sh- that shifts when it's like, all right, halfway mark. Okay, cool. 11 miles to go, 13 behind me. And I and I've I recognize that as I've been running these things. There's such a mind shift that happens across country. I can see how that can be such a resilient thing that you can apply to life. And I've done that. I've done that, I think, in so many ways. Um, I would have thought that you would have said soccer players. Um, But mm-hmm. I again, I, I guess I can see if you add that eye-hand coordination with the movement, that would be the ideal situation because soccer, just, there's no hand involvement. Um, But that's a very interesting statistic.
2: Yep, absolutely. Well, I know I get all my grit and resiliency from Anne. I always, you know, that's why I dedicated my book to her because, you know, when I try to describe Anne Rothenberg for the audience to people, it's just they can't picture it because she's just so tiny. But like, as you know, that woman has made grown men cry. I've seen her make many of your teammates cry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For those who don't remember, Ann Rothenberg um, was our, our captain at Brown University for a long tenure. Her and her husband, um, Bob Rothenberg, had done so many things for the Brown Track and Field community and continue to do things in Rhode Island for many of the high schools and colleges. They do meets on the weekends. They work with the Ronald McDonald Fund. They do so many things. I'm trying to have Ann on the show at some point in time. I just haven't had our, right. our schedules together yet. Uh, but yeah, I was definitely one of the guys who I cried when I won Ivy uh, championships. I literally cried in her arms, and I remember it because uh, she's only like I don't know four eleven or five whatever whatever she is. So yeah. I remember being just like stooping down and crying on her shoulders, and um, you know, if you ever needed a mother figure in your life, she was she was definitely that. And I think she also understood the you athletic brain and and how so many of the things that we learned were to prepare our minds for what our bodies weren't able to do yet, but she saw mm-hmm. that we could, in her mind, she knew we could do those things, you know? Um, and I was—I I, I mentioned this on other shows. It's its amazing to me that someone like Anne, right? A coach who's never done long jump, triple jump, pole vault, you know, can sit there and show you or guide you in terms of how you who are doing those things how you can do it better Mm -hmm. and how you can be better at your thing. Although she's never done it. She's never done it. Right. But, but the teaching, the the, the tutelage and, you know, even the sessions, because there were so many sessions that we had with her just talking about, so, you know, what are your goals? What do you want to do? And how do you feel about this? And I remember just talking to her about classes and about athletics and about my goals. And those things became the foundation for me having the confidence to go out there uh and do it. And then her teaching during the training. I'm sure you remember when she was, you know, watching your form doing certain things and, and giving you t- tips on how to do this and how to do that. And and it wasn't like it was, I'm sure this probably goes to like reinforcement training for you. You know, it wasn't constant reinforcement. Um, because nope. you did want some like um internal recognition and some external, um, so you can do stuff on your own, you know. But she she said the right things at the right time and then. let you mess up at the same time so you can figure it out on your own and then it all just came together and she was a genius with that because there were so many things i was like i can't do this and then before you know it you're doing that you know you're jumping farther than you thought or you're jumping higher than you imagined and it's there's so many things again that go right back to the brain and how the brain works that you can you can think about doing something and then even though you can't physically do it today it may happen tomorrow and then when it does happen go. Oh, that was easy now what's next yeah so yeah it, it's an incredible thing
2: yeah it's- no and I think that's exact I mean you you said that so eloquently about her um you know I think I used one of the quotes she said to me at the right place at the right time when I um I choked at one of like the indoor meets in Boston and she knew I was gonna come up to her and like Make every excuse in the book, and all she does is she looks at me and she's like, "Coulda, shoulda, woulda," you know. And I was like, "That's all she needed to say," and I, I got it. And so I, I have used that quote many times. Whenever like a a student or a soldier comes up to me to like apologize for screwing up, I'm just like, "Coulda, shoulda, woulda." So mm.
0: it's so true, yo. It's crazy. Listen, so much of what we feel about um life, exercise, in particular happens in the brain, right? We talked about that just just now. And I feel like um I want you to talk a little bit about you mentioned this thing about um predetermined couch potatoes. And yes. it's funny could be I'm looking at my life now and you know I'm I'm thinking now I'm you know 42 years old and I'm I'm still running and I, I post these things and people are like wow why are you still running? That's amazing. I used to run. I used to do this, but now I'm I'm just home. I'm just relaxing. I'm chilling. I'm lazy. I'm I don't have time. I don't have energy. Um, But they want to do things. They want to get back into the whatevers, you know. They 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 want to get back into running or CrossFit or biking or whatever else. But a lot of people become stagnant, and they do become these couch potatoes who are ready to do certain things, but. As we always say, the 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 uh the mind is willing, but the body is weak, you know. So mm-hmm. you talk about this this couch potato and the predetermined couch potato. What is that concept? Uh for those who are listening.
2: Yeah, that's uh I had a hard time coming up with the the right word for that, but I think that was the most appropriate term. Um so I you know, I'm talking about people who as you know, a lot of your willingness to do sports as a kid is young kid is all about access, right? I, I was very fortunate in that I do come from a family of professional athletes. Both my uncles were professional boxers. Mm-hmm. Uh, my great uncle played in the NFL for the Giants. And then one of my cousins was also Tom Brady's backup for a long time. So I've like, Athletics was always the center of my life growing up, um, but you know, kids I went to high school with um, who are now parents and you know didn't have good healthy habits back then and don't have good healthy habits now. Um, those habits stick with your kids, um, but I think you know through things like group fitness movements, like boot camp and CrossFit and the running club that you've started. Um, It is, you know, it it makes sense why all these movements have helped people who otherwise had sedentary lives, whether because they didn't know better or they were culturally ingrained, can now thrive on on exercise and movement. And a lot of times they're the ones who are obsessed with it, right? Like Mm -hmm. once they find what it's like to be on the train, and to sweat and to feel as good as you do after you finish a hard workout when you you're, you didn't possibly think you could do it. Like they're the ones who stick stick with these programs. I don't know if you have had that experience with your, your running club, but we see this all the time in CrossFit where um, some of our most dedicated gym members are folks who came into the gym weighing like beyond 250, close to 300 pounds and are now, through a combination of performance, nutrition, and training are sitting around 200 pounds and feel so incredibly good about themselves and their life.
0: Yeah, no, I have. It's funny. I have um, I have a teammate who joined our group who's going through a number of issues in terms of family, a divorce, kids, all this kind of stuff, and wanted to be a part of this group so bad and didn't take it seriously at first. So once he actually saw himself improving, um, didn't, didn't ever want to stop. Last time to me, we were doing runs together for a number of weeks. Um, and I get called literally from him probably once a week being like, I want to just thank you for letting me be a part of this thing. It's changed my life. It's changed my family. It changed my everything. My mood is different. My anxiety is down, all these different things. And it's, it's amazing because, and I, I guess I, I, we, I can probably say, we take it for granted because we've been doing this thing for such a long time, right? You, you can yep. remember the first time you did anything athletic, as do I. And that's been like eons ago. So, you know, you're so ingrained yep. in this now become a part of you and what you do. It, it's, it's, it's third nature. You know, it's just, it just happens, right? Second nature, whatever you want to call it. But for him, he never experienced that. And if he did, Mm -hmm. it was such a long time ago. Between now and then, it was like 20 years since he was doing stuff back in high school. So, you Mm -hmm. know, being able to reinvent himself at almost 50 years old um, was remarkable for him. And he literally, every time I see him, he's like, I just want to thank you because I feel like I was a 15-year-old again. And it's true. I think athletics brings you back to a place Mm -hmm. where you are... In that same mindset as you were when you were, if that you started off yeah. when a kid, you were kid, that you were as a kid, it's, it's the same concept. Um, so I I appreciate it and I know I take it for granted, but um, I think one of the things that makes me continue to press on in the mornings, even today when I woke up and didn't want to run, is that I don't want to take it for granted ever. I want to make sure that I'm I'm taking every yeah. single ounce of my life that I can move, especially because I work with people who can't move and want to move. Um, I'm like if there's yeah. nothing majorly wrong with me, you know, I'm gonna go out there and do something. I'll go out there and yeah. do something. So
2: no, absolutely. I mean, if I could be like queen of the world for a day, you know, I I do worry about public education now and cutting out PE classes or just not having structure to PE classes. And I can confidently say that because um, when I was with the Army Recruiting Command and competing professionally for the army and CrossFit, we would actually go into high schools before our competitions and would like be the honorary gym teacher for the day. Um, And it was shocking how many large high schools in urban areas across the country have cut their PE programs, or you go in there and it's just disorganized chaos. There's no, you know, block session of, oh, we're gonna do volleyball this block and badminton this block or, um, like track this block. It's just, you can do what you want. As long as you are here in this gym for an hour, you could yeah. be in the corner on your phone. And it's like, I, I would 100% revamp, uh, you know, if I was president of the U S someday, like the, the physical education system, it's, you know, and I think that's where a lot of these issues with teenage you know, resiliency, like te- the incidence of teenage bullying to resiliency, uh, mental health issues. I think a lot of this ties back to not having the ability or encouraged to have the ability to move.
0: I agree. Completely agree with you. I, um, I've i seen that firsthand as well. It's, it's insane, especially in, in most of our urban areas, a little more prevalent than others, but it's insane. And you know, I don't, I don't know why those things get cut first. I mean, I know why they get cut first because they're not appreciated, but it's, it's a shame that they get cut first. And, you know, one of the things that I, I've, I've tried to do is just to give more um, access. You mentioned access earlier, more access for people Mm -hmm. just to stay physically fit and to, and to stay in in an environment where they can do more things. I mean, I, I do a a number of free workouts in the community one twice a week. I do a number of free runs and trainings and whatever else. And, People would say, why are you doing all this stuff? Um, I'm doing it because I, I know that there's a need, you know, and I know yep. that people can benefit from all the things that you and I benefited from. Uh, yep. Anything I can share that we learned at, at Brown or even after that when it comes to running or fitness, whatever else, I want to share that with people because it should be free and it should have be given and shared with as many people as possible. And yeah, it's it's a shame that, you know, the people who are running these programs don't have the resources to do structure like we you, you and I grew up doing. From playing volleyball mm-hmm. to basketball to badminton air hockey whatever else you know things that just got you excited about moving and and just got you prepared for other things that you could experience later in life when it comes to challenges so i'm hoping it gets better i'm hoping we find a way to to continue to um give back the same way people gave back to us um but it is challenging it's definitely challenging yeah and yeah. um you know i i i looking at the the things that you've been talking about and, and studying, I think there are a number of things that athletes, you and I and others, um, can apply to your lives. You know, For for me at this time in my life, I'm looking at a lot of things that, that will help me hopefully be better in my performances, right? I'm, I'm training for Berlin this year, as I already mentioned to you, and I'm always trying to find better ways to, uh recover better i know sleep is one thing that i have to work on and i've I've done a better job at that i wrote about it in my book Uh, i was very honest i know i i need to get between seven hours of sleep and i i'm pretty much like at seven hours like if i go more than seven hours i feel too tired and if i go less than seven hours i'm definitely sleepy um so i've been at seven hours i mean i've been i've been i have to honestly like be uh, very, very serious about it. Like I have to schedule it in my yeah. phone. It's time to go to bed. Otherwise I will stay up and do whatever. Um, But I'm curious, you know, Dr. Breger, there are so many things that we can do as athletes and as NARPs um, when it comes to being practical with um our performance. What are some tips you want to share, if you can, if at all, um, on ways that athletes can enhance their athletic performance and or their recovery? Say with someone like me, training for the marathon or... And what else was going out there and just, you know, just trying to stay fit for their regular, um, you know, nine to five.
2: Well, I think you hit it, you know, the, the nail on the head is it's all about deliberate routine. So it's not just about quantity of sleep and, you know, your set points, probably seven hours. Mine is about seven and a half hours. It's mostly about quality. Um, Because you can have seven hours of sleep, but if it's seven hours of poor sleep where you're not getting the release of these hormones important for recovery, then you're at a loss. Um, And we know this from looking at blood panels of folks who have undiagnosed sleep disorders. And then when they finally get treatment for, say, sleep apnea, their blood panels of their um, hormone statuses greatly improve. Mm. Um, Same with athletes, too. A lot of athletes, A a big predictor is drops in testosterone. Uh, That's like the number one predictor in both male and female athletes. Um, But it comes to routine. Um, Honestly, your sleep routine should start about 90 minutes before bed. And it involves just putting away work, putting away anything in your life that is stressful. Um, You know, just being present with yourself, your family, um, not doing anything that is stressful or related to work or even things like being on your phone, not because of the light, but because of the social interaction and the both positive and negative emotions that are conveyed from, you know, scrolling on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, The next thing you should do is to dim the lights in your house. And that's intentional because there's this process that happens every night called dim light melatonin onset. Um, This is actually what we used to study in in Mary's lab down the street from the stadium at Brown is because she's the person who actually discovered this um, Mm -hmm. about 30, 40 years ago. So it's basically as soon as the human body is in the presence of dim light, uh, we start producing and secreting melatonin. And melatonin is the hormone that helps us fall asleep and stay asleep. Um, And so it's in our best interest to help this process move along quickly and also augment the process by just being in dim light. That's all it takes. Um, And then the last thing is, is sleeping in a very dark and cool and either quiet room or perhaps have like a fan or some type of white noise. Um, Those three things of being dark as possible, cool as possible, Um, Either by lowering the temperature on the thermostat, or you can buy like cooling pads now, make all the difference in the world. And it's really that simple. Like this sleep routine, this is something we started implementing in 2008 with the Olympic athletes in Beijing. Um, And all the Olympic teams follow this protocol today. Um, You know, major league baseball teams, it's when they hear it, it doesn't seem like it's going to work. But Mm -hmm. You'll see over time, and I hear this from people all the time. I actually heard this from two people at work today. They're like, "Oh my gosh!" Like I didn't believe you, and I was like, "Of course you didn't," because it seems so simple. But now they they have to do that routine, and if they don't do that routine, they they don't get a good night of sleep.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. I I feel like uh, I just kind of knock out at night because I'm just exhausted anyway from the day. But I have like my wife, for instance, is someone who you know, she, she needs that. She needs that. Um, her job is so stressful. So calming down her, her brain allows her to sleep properly. And she, you know, we have all those things. We have the white noise. Um, we have the dark rooms. My daughter is white noise every single night. We just do it. And it, it helps her every single night to go to sleep. And yes, I, I you know, I think for a lot of the kids who um, are on the iPad tip, which is pretty much every kid in the world, um, cutting out that iPad 90 minutes in advance is helpful as well. We've seen that. That's been an automatic when we don't when we don't have that break. It's it, she's just up. And why are you awake? Oh, I know why. Because you were watching, you know, Kid Danger, Henry Danger, whatever you're watching on the iPad, <laughs> like literally like five minutes ago. And that's why you're wide awake. So us cutting that out has been a great thing. The white noise has been a great thing. And like you said, being in a darker environment, she had these nightlights for a long time. And uh, we did it because she was scared for a while. But now that she's a little more mature, you know, she just knocks out. And it's, it's like you said, it's it is neuroscience. It, it, it's how the brain works. And if you do those things, um, it, it's easier. I think the hard thing for most people, like you said, they're scrolling on Instagram. They're doing all kinds of weird stuff at night. And yeah, your brain is just racing now because it's not turning off. It's just on. And um, that's hard. But uh, like you said, if you do yeah. the routine, it definitely works it definitely works
2: for sure. Actually, my one friend, um, she didn't go to Brown. I met her in grad school. Her name's, uh, Sherry Ma. She's at Stanford. Um, she did a, so she actually works with a lot of, um, NBA players. She spent a lot of time working with the Golden State Warriors and Steph Curry. Um, and she did a study and found that NBA players who are staying up way past their games, which are already late, you know, sometimes finishing around like, you know, midnight, yeah. Um, the ones who were on their phone scrolling or posting on Twitter, there was a likelihood that they would lose the game the next day uh, because of being on Twitter and tweeting late at night. And the, oh. like, there's an actual empirical published paper paper in the uh, journal from the uh, Academy of American Sleep Medicine on that.
0: Look at that. Hope you guys yeah. are listening, my Knicks players out there. Hopefully, we can do a little better next year. Uh <laughs> oh
2: yeah, well I'm not, I'm I'm a heat fan through marriage. So oh look at you. Won. I don't know, I don't know if they won tonight, but we'll yeah. find
0: out. We'll find we'll out find yes, we're out getting getting to the finals though. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Listen, that's Rick. I got one more question for you. And it's really about be more today. And it's you know, you're the 120 uh 127th person on the show. Like I guess you say thank you for that. But the Be More Today phrase has been something that I've asked everyone on the show what that phrase means to them. So I got to ask you also, when you hear the phrase be more today, what does that phrase mean to you? Um,
2: you know, I think, um, I want to say unleashing your, your true potential, but I don't think you realize what your true potential is until you have like the right time, right place, and you've done all the preparation and training maybe up to that moment in time um i think of uh, i heard a talk last week from ryan uh hauser who's the reigning world record holder and the shot put and he talked about like when he threw his world record throw uh, a few months ago he had no idea like he he knew that the release was good and he saw that the ball was traveling a little farther uh than it normally does in that like time space and moment but it like it just felt good. That's that's all he could recollect from it. He wasn't even aware of what he did with his position and and you know his body to have that world record throw. Um, and that's what I really think. You know, being more and unleashing your true potential is with the right time and the right place and the right preparation and training. Your true potential will be released um, because of that.
0: Mm. well spoken well spoken listen where can people follow you on uh social media or otherwise
2: um so i'm on uh instagram uh doc jock zzz um that's pretty much the the best place to to find me i don't tweet i mean I, i have a twitter account but i never check it
0: yeah me neither. It's all good. <laughs>
2: yeah. It's too overwhelming for me. I'm already like ADD as is. And like, just to like read words, it's just, it's
0: too much. Yeah. No, I think you're in the right place and you're doing the right thing. And I got to just thank you for being on the show. You've made this form one for the books and it's been such a great time catching up with you. I've been loving what you've been doing. I wish you the best with all your endeavors. And uh, I'm not sure when you're coming back to brown to visit. I mean, I should have gone for my 20th. And I, I I regret it, but there was other things happening, but I will go back <laughs> again at some point in time, and uh, maybe we'll link up back on back on campus.
2: Yeah, no, you will. Actually, I was headed to my 15th reunion last year, and um, there's these horrible tornadoes in Raleigh, so we were grounded, and then, like, basically, I was told 'Cause this is Friday morning and I wanted to get there in time for campus dance. So they were like, Well, we can't get you out until Saturday night now. And I was like, Okay. Uh, I know I paid money to like stay in the dorms and paid for like the reunion package, but I was like, I'm not missing campus dance. It's not worth it for campus dance. Yeah. So I just went home that weekend. So.
0: Oh, okay. So, yeah, we'll yeah. have to catch the next one then for sure. We
2: will, yeah. We'll, or we'll have to, you know, Ivy's when uh, it's at Columbia or yes. the Armory. Or,
0: yes. Uh, that's. A uh, good I idea. know it's
2: just at Penn, so, yeah.
0: That's a good idea.
2: Um, and I have an excuse to go to more now because uh, I sit on the uh, advisory, the board of directors for the Sports Foundation. So, um, I... Uh, I plan to go to a lot of brown athletic events beyond track and field over the right. next
0: year. All right. Well, listen, whenever you go to one that's in the NYC area, uh, or even close to it, you let me know and I'll I'll join you there.
2: Sure. Absolutely. Yes.
0: Awesome. awesome. Dr. Brigger, thank you so much for being on the show. You made this one for the books. I really appreciate it. And uh Bruno, Bruno all day. You Bruno. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate it. And folks, she said so many great things tonight. Um, Man, the, the brain is such an amazing thing. We can do so many things if we just really put our minds to it. No pun intended, right? And yeah. and use our bodies for what they are made to do. The quote from today is simple. We don't even know how strong we are until we're forced to bring that hidden strength forward. I don't know what you're going to have to do this year, what you're going to face this year, what your goals are this year. We are now at almost the midway point of 2023. So... If you want to get out there and do something, let's do it. For those of you who are NARPs, who are not really getting athletic, find something to do. Get your kids involved. Get out there. Enjoy the sun. Enjoy the, the sunlight and the good weather. Let's be active. Our brains and our bodies are craving to be more. And each of us has an athletic brain. We have a brain that wants to go out there and be resilient, to be strong. Uh, Whether you're trying to be a Green Beret or you just trying to be, finish the Berlin Marathon like me, you can go out there and get your physical fitness in for the betterment of you the ones around you and for your community and for your legacy as well. So folks, that's our show for today. As you already know, we'll be here again next week. But until then, have a good day. Have a good night. Have a great life. And continue to take your steps of greatness to be the best version of you. We'll see you next week. Peace.